the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As you know, today is the feast day of, or the memorial of St. Francis of Assisi. And uh, it's particularly important today since our Pope took his name. It's not a superficial gesture that he did. It's the first time any Pope has decided to use that name. And uh, there's something deeper there that must also affect us in our own vocation in the work. It's meant to be a a reminder of an, uh, an essential characteristic of any disciple and even more of us who, well, who have renounced everything for love of God, as St. Francis did. Probably when we die, there won't be much work in emptying out our rooms. They won't have to rent a storage place to keep all our furniture and probably a number of the items we had can be reused. They can wipe our laptop or our computer and just use it. Most of the stuff will be thrown away, although there won't be much to throw away. But uh, you'll be happy that somebody will use your earrings or your bracelet or or that nice trinket that will now sit somewhere on a you know on a nice piece of furniture and it's an invitation for us now in front of this memorial this radical figure always francis is always evokes a, a radicalism about our relationship to God and relationship to the world. It's an invitation for us to to examine ourselves, uh, examine how radical we are, in fact, how close we are to God and what we are really ultimately attached to. If we are more attached to God, we're more attached to our things, and in what way they have become an obstacle, if at all. Indeed, uh, St. Francis's radical gesture in his context there in the 12th century, end of the 12th century or beginning of the 13th century, was one of the most, was a very radical gesture, yet he became one of the most beloved saints of all time. You see him everywhere, he's all over the place. And now even a pope has taken his name. You have to be pretty, a pretty loved saint for 
so many people to to have taken on your memory. And yet, Francis was not even his baptismal name. He was born in 1181 or 1182. His mother was a French noblewoman. His father was a businessman. And he was actually baptized Giovanni, which was a common name. But he was born and baptized while his father was on a long business trip making more money. And he was actually off in France. When he came back, since his mother, since his wife was a French noblewoman, he had been in France, he called him the Frenchman, Francesco. And somehow it stuck. It must have been said with affection and warmth, hey, there's my little Francesco. And although Francis never really did any studies as such, he was not, in that sense, learned. He was very intelligent. And indeed, he picked up French, most likely because he went on business trips with his father. And he was able to speak conversations, sing songs, write poetry, which he loved to do. He was also quite familiar with Latin. And he acquired knowledge of accounting through his apprenticeship with his father's business. And he was only 14 years old when he learned all those things. And very shortly after after his own death, Francis' own death, already many, many biographies were written, and, and Bonaventure recounts that he was distracted at that age by the external affairs of his father's business and drawn down toward earthly things by the corruption of human nature. So that's the vision he was drawn down. And as a, as a result, he became the leader of a group of boys from other wealthy families. And yet his generosity gave him the reputation of being rather prodigal, rather dissipated. And one of the things that really bothered him, and he had a lot of aversion to, was uh, he had a great aversion to lepers, eventually he overcame that, but in those days, I guess there were just lepers all around, and he just couldn't take even being close to them. When he was 22, he joined the militia as a result of a dispute between Perugia and Assisi. And since he was able to afford a horse, he avoided service as a foot soldier, so yeah, he and his allies fought against Perugia, but eventually he was captured. He and his friends were captured. They were put in prison, and he was stuck there for about a year. And it must have been a, a, a terrible place, damp and, and you know, musty and painful. And all that time in prison with the poor food and so forth uh, must have taken quite a toll on his health. And also, he had seen all of his friends killed in battle. And I don't expect it was a very, a very uh, warm experience at all. But all, all, despite all that, 
he still engaged in battles, went to war. But then at one point it seems that he had a dream of a voice asking him whether it was better to serve the master or whether it was better to serve the servant. And he said, well, it's better to serve the master. He says, then why do you serve the servant? He said, why do you serve the servant? So he, he began to understand he wasn't really serving the master. He was disturbed by this dream. It was only a dream, but, but he confided it to a friend, and he started saying that he was no longer interested in military service because of that dream. And, uh, and so that's when he sold his goods, including his horse. He lived actually quite a distance from, not a huge distance, a small distance from Assisi. And, uh, and uh, he sold his horse and made his way back to Assisi. And when he was only a few miles away, that's when he came upon the, the church of San Damiano, which had been a Benedictine priory. And you could see it was in sore need of renovations. That's what later he would do, but in that moment he didn't, he didn't click yet. But when he did return to Assisi, he just lost joy in the, the, the prodigality that he had before. And his friends noticed that he was like a different man now. It's like, almost like as though he was in PTSD. He, he was, he no longer had the joviality of youth, uh, and uh, they used to have these lavish parties and stuff, but uh, he was somber, he was pensive, and he no longer went to these parties, no longer worked in his father's business. He was changed, and he was just not able to find peace. And then that's when he made a pilgrimage to Rome, it must have been a, a difficult trip, but uh, he, was, he was already in Assisi, so it wouldn't have been that long. But um, obviously he wouldn't have been to the current basilica that we know now. It was the old St. Peter's. before. This was way before Leo X, so, so it, was a, uh, it was an ancient, really an ancient basilica built by Constantine in the 4th century. And in some way... The, we still have drawings of it and so forth that the, the tomb of St. Peter was much more visible then and even threw large mar- amounts of money at the tomb kind of offering that money he had he traded his clothes with a beggar and then he just wanted to know the experience of what it was like to ask for alms not only wanted to give alms, but he wanted to feel the experience of asking for them. What, what was it like really to be poor? What did it mean to walk around and really be in di- dire need? And, uh, and this is an important step when he was there in Rome. That's when he embraced what he called the lady, uh, the lady poverty, an embrace of lady poverty. He wanted to live now a life of poverty. Eventually, he made his way back to from Rome, and he, and he went back to that church of San Damiano that he had originally seen. And uh, now he was praying. 
he overcame his repulsion to lepers. And when he was praying there, he he was fervent in prayer in front of that famous crucifix. And he heard a voice from that crucifix telling him to, to repair his church. Please repair my church, Francis. And, of course, this is what he did. He not only repaired that church, but he started to repair other churches in the area. A number of churches around Assisi. He would even beg for stones. He sold all he had. He took his mother, his father's money or whatever he had inherited. His father tried to get that back, even took him to court. But the, the image of him wanting the best for our Lord now, even setting up altars so that the Eucharist could be celebrated in a really dignified way, not in a dilapidated way. The, these long-standing rebuilding projects are, are not always talked about, but they, they responded to that call from God, rebuild my church. He really thought it was a physical rebuilding. But they also foreshadowed the rebuilding of the universal church, which also needed in, in, in dire need of repair. This is, you know, at a time, you could say, that was still reeling from different problems. Uh, and later on, there would be the, there would be the, uh, the Black Death and it's, it's still years before the Protestant Reformation, but, uh, but uh, the church is in need of, of a lot of renewal. And, and you could say Francis was that figure. He later brought many people, followed him, and embraced that radicality. And uh, you got many followers. And they were all part of that project of renewal. And we too want to be part of a some kind of project of renewal, some kind of project of reinvigorating the church with a desire for more sanctity. And also, we'll have to find a way to combine the living of that virtue of poverty, which, of course, Francis did in his way, and we have to do in our way. We can do it also by rebuilding, and that is like asking contributions. You know, when was the last time I asked for a contribution for the center? Not for me, but for, for the center. When was the last time I do that? What we call the, the apostle of asking. Uh, because we invite somebody to be generous in some way. And uh, people always feel happy when they've, they somehow have for, decided to forego something they could have used for themselves and they've given it to somebody that uses it for the good. Because when they're giving something for us, whether it's for an air conditioner, whether it's for um, a, new, uh, a new chalice or what have you, people are happy they've done something that will be used probably for, for many years. And, but for, for the formation of souls, for the good of souls. And that thereby the person giving is already somehow has been though he is that person has um, given away material goods he's gained a lot
We also take the opportunity of this memorial to look at our own relationship with money, with material goods, with nice things, with fine clothing. You are here in an area that's full of nice stores, security guards, objects that cost a lot of money, stores just dedicated to, to luggage, you know, just luggage, even luggage for your phone. Just that costs, I don't know, I have no idea how much these things cost, but uh, you know, just a store just for nice-looking luggage, which you only use for a moment, and then you store it away. We can, we can use money for good projects, so that they serve the church, to help souls. Our, our father said that, as, as Danavro commented once, that our father used to say that money is the dung of the devil because he uses it to spread evil in the world. But he would add that dung can also be used as fertilizer. Yes, you can do much good by using money in an upright manner and purpose. We must lose any fear and get to solicit financial help from many people. So, when we live poverty, when we live that virtue, when we live the virtue of detachment, we also have to live all the consequences that come with it, and the daily effort to live this ideal. And maybe we have found reasons to escape the, the effort, and we can ask our blessed Lord now for the courage to live, to live poverty and accept the consequences that come with it. And our Lord said, unless... He renounces all that he has. He cannot be my disciple. We have to renounce in some way to understand also what that means. It's the virtue of poverty, virtue of detachment is a challenging virtue. Our Father would prefer to, to speak about the virtue of detachment to distinguish it from maybe the way the, the Franciscans lived it, but it's still something that we have to live. We see the example of our Lord who, who, being rich, became poor, and you to become, for you, and to become rich through his poverty. He lived a normal life, yet he was absolutely detached. He would say, nobody can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and riches. You cannot serve God and riches. And that poverty that we have <clears throat> does not come from a negative vision of the material goods as though they were somehow evil, but from a sense of gratitude from those goods and at the same time a joyful renunciation with great interior freedom, out of love for God and obeying to His plans. It's not enough, our Father would say, to just want to be poor. We have to learn to be poor. I'm sure you want to be poor. I'm sure you don't want to be attached. Today you, you look around, there's so many very, very um, high-end cars, right, that you see today. So many Teslas and, and Mercedes. Uh, it seems to me much more 
than I used to see around in in the past. Seeing seeing a Mercedes was, or even a BMW was a very fairly rare occurrence. Now, it's what's rare is to see the cheap cars. You know, it's as though I don't know if these things have become cheaper or what, but uh, uh, it's the, the the status aspect has entered. But for our father, the basic idea was that if we don't feel the bite of poverty, at least occasionally, then we're not really living it according to the work, spirit of the work. But to feel that though we have access to, let's say, material things or what we may, may absolutely need, we somehow have to feel the bite because our heart gets attached it can become, uh, become a traitor. It's normal to be attracted to nice things. It's normal to like them and to be, find them appealing. But our heart can get overly attached to those things when in the end are, are ultimately just secondary. They're not fundamental. They won't give us that joy. We'll end up like Francis, who, who was musing and pensive and unhappy before he renounced. We may want certain things, but we have, well, one of the tasks we have, one of the ways in which we live that poverty is we, we consult. We, we put it, the decision into somebody else's filter, you could say, somebody else's. We, we don't just click by, you know, don't just click, we have to wait. It's so easy now to go to Amazon, just buy, click now, buy, get it within two business days. It's, it's a very appealing thing, get it within two business days. And, and free shipping. And first, before doing that, we have to, to before having that, that, that ease, we have to say, okay, do I really need this? Is this really necessary? Yes, no. And we kind of study it on our own or examine it. And then, and then we ask somebody else, and they could say, well, get a cheaper version, or do this, do, instead of why, why don't you borrow it from this, or, no, something that, that is maybe a little bit more difficult. But doing that, is, it complicates our life a little bit. It's true, it complicates our life. Clicking a button is very easy. And thereby, when we do that, we begin to cut the subtle threads that shackle the heart. We know the criteria that our Father wanted us to live, not to have anything that is our own, he would say, not to have anything that, it, you know, that, that really, really, this is mine, nobody touches this, that rather, that what we have, we use as administrators, knowing that we have to render an account for what we use. This could include our time. You know, they say time is money. If we never have time for things in the center, if we never have time to do a repair, if we never have time for the things that are needed here, maybe we're not, we're not really, we're, we're just using our time for ourselves, for our own things. We have our own little escapes. We hide away. Just our time. 
You know, time is valuable. He said, we must have, not have anything superfluous, things that we don't really need. Sometimes we, we build up these things, you know, extra things that could just be just in case things. But at the same time, they give us a kind of a comfort so that we don't have to feel in the moment that maybe one day if I lack this or if it rains or if it snows uh, or what have you. Although those are things that are normal for us, but... Uh, Poverty has to make us careful, careful in how we behave, even, you know, not, not be spendthrifts and just go and go to any restaurant. doesn't matter. We have to have control over the way we use our time, the way we use the Internet. We have to be sober, can't spend things on a whim. We're just out of ultimately vanity or comfort, as we are sometimes asked. And also, it, <coughs> it leads us not to complain when we do actually do lack. <coughs> when we do lack what is even necessary. Our Father said in the way, you don't love poverty if you don't love what poverty brings with it. Well, Lord, I want to love poverty. And I want to love even what brings with it. But I want to love it so that my heart is entirely attached to you. Not just so it's a series of criteria that I'm living and I never really anchor them in my heart. I want to love those things simply because they in some way would be an expression that my love, my heart really is ultimately truly attached to you. And uh, let's ask this of our Blessed Mother. Let's ask this of St. Joseph, who were poor. They weren't wealthy, spendthrifts, but they were immensely happy because their heart was, of course, so attached to the child. You could say, I suppose, they could, you could say they belonged to the, the peasant class, which eked out a, a living through agriculture and small little commercial ventures like carpentry and uh, that was probably 90% of the population that bore the burden of supporting the state and, and a small privileged cla class it was, a, it was a grinding life, a difficult life with taxes and to Rome, to Herod and, and to the temple so let us ask our blessed mother for this virtue she will intercede for us so that we live this virtue. And we ask, of course, St. Francis as well, so that we really live it in the radicality that God wants. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.